Would you like to know how to make better decisions for your business, your people, or yourself? Do you want to recognize when you make errors of judgment that cause the quality of your decisions to drop, and when you are moving away from, not closer to, your goal? Welcome to Because There's More with Laura Ellis. For the next hour, Laura and her guests will share experiences and insights that will challenge and stretch your thinking, help you recognize your biases, and ultimately guide you towards more predictable and accurate decisions. You'll walk away from this show feeling better informed, more inspired, and a lot more confident about your next big decision. Now, here's your host, Laura Ellis. Hello, I'm Laura Ellis, and this is Because There's More, the show that takes a closer look at decision-making. Thank you all for tuning in. I'm delighted to be here with you for another show, because guess what? I have another very special guest on my show today, one who is very young in years, but who's easily a match and an inspiration for any seasoned successful leader who operates in the world of business today. His name is Tony Guerreri, and he's the 37 years old CEO of his Vaughan, Ontario-based family business, Roma Moulding, which designs and crafts handmade Italian frames. And today, Tony will talk to us about the journey he led his organization um, through an amazing cultural transformation. Welcome to the show, Tony. Good morning, Laura. I'm really happy to be here. And I'm very, I feel privileged to have you on the show today because I, um, uh, when we first met or were introduced, uh, the immediate thing I did, I, I looked you up and I was very impressed uh, how much work you have done, not just for your organization, but for many other businesses and how you've helped them. So I am very excited to hear the story behind the story, but let me just share few things um, uh, about you with with the audience. And I will say that uh, I am very privileged because every week I host people who, like yourself, have an inspiring journey and uh, teach us a lot of the things that help us better in, in our own uh, businesses. So I look forward to hear all that uh, from you. also want to say that... Um, Last week, we had here Andrew Webster, whose passion for making change management and innovation a habit for business people helped him pivot on um, uh, or away from less effective mindset and approach the growth of his business in a completely different way. So if you have a chance, Tony, and everyone out there, you should listen to that episode. There's some very good uh, uh, lessons for people um, in, in business. But a few words about you now. I'm going to read from your bio, and then I can't wait to um, hear you telling us more of your own personal story. So you have led Roma Molding as CEO for the past five years, and your organization is a top North American picture frame manufacturer with its products sold in leading retail banners such as Ethan Allen and Michael's Arts and Crafts. Roma Moulding's products are loved by celebrities, including Sir Anthony Hopkins, and of course, as a Brit, that uh, name means so much for me, and it's proudly displayed in global tier one properties such as the Angus Glen Golf Course and used by top professionals around the world, including master photographer Peter Lick, who, uh, for those of you out there who don't know, he uh, broke a world record in December 2014 for selling a single photograph print for $6.5 million. Wow. So you joined uh, your family-run company in 1999 as a marketing uh, manager and in 2010 you were ready to take over as the CEO um, of the business. But you wanted to do it differently because you saw the need for a fundamental change. So you decided, and I can't wait to hear more about how you came to that decision, you decided to run a company that put a premium on happiness. So that led you to take your organization through an extraordinary company cultural transformation that has affirmed Roma as industry leader while simultaneously becoming renowned for outstanding company culture. And 
since then. You have been featured in the media. I know you're very active in the media. And is a, uh, you're also active corporate advocate and speaker on culture and employee happiness. Uh, keynoting the Conference Board of Canada's 2015 Better Workplace Conference. Along, and this is an amazing achievement, uh, of course, alongside Facebook COO Sheryl Sandberg and Apple's SVP of Software Development Craig Federighi, you have been named one of 2014's most passionate leaders by Toastmaster magazine. Today, you mentor a number of organizations, including Great Places to Work Canada's winner, 360 incentives. And, and of course, you have your own um, website, www.tonyguerreri.com. Uh, and for anyone interested out there, it is on um, the radio show's website as well. People can learn more about you. So this is very impressive. How did it all start? Tell us the story behind the bio. Well, thank you, Laura. Um, and I'm uh, as honored and privileged to be here on the show with you today. Um, and, and thank you for, for allowing me to share my story. So, uh, you know, you've said it so well. And, and I think it's important that I take it, you know, right back to 1999 when I started the family business. And, and uh, my father had started it 31 years ago. And, uh, you know, he set out to build a future or a better future for his family and worked very hard and very diligent. And, you know, we, we grew very well. Uh, primarily here in Canada was our home base in Ontario, you know, Toronto. And then we expanded into the U.S. And today we sit with about 130 to 150 people um, in North America employed on the team. Uh, I came in in 1999, um, you know, with a, with a purpose to continue to lead on the legacy of my family and continue to create great products and, and, you know, help adorn some of the most beautiful works of art in homes um, like yours and mine. And so I came in as marketing manager and, uh, you know, I, I loved it. That's my background, marketing. And shortly thereafter, um, if you recall, 1999 was a big tech boom and things were really lighting up on the stock market. Everybody was doing great until that uh, very, very sad day on September 11th. Um, unfortunately, you know, the world had changed once that, uh, once those occurrences happened and for our business, um, we came out relatively unscathed because we deal with, you know, we're, we're a, a higher end quality good. Um, we're not a need per se, we're a want and, and we did relatively well moving into the years of 2005, 2006, I got mentored by some great people within our company um, and outside the company, continuously evolving my leadership. I've always been passionate about leadership and people. And um, we then hit 2008 and 2009. And Laura, um, I don't think there's a single person on the planet that doesn't remember those years. And those okay. were... Those were the global financial crisis. It wasn't regionalized. It affected all industries, across all boards, across all oceans. And ours was no different. And uh, I remember it like it was yesterday. It, it happened, you know, when we, when we got affected, it was, it was very sudden. It was uh, August, and we had gone on a family vacation at the time and came back to the demise of a negative 30% in one month. Um, we had never experienced decreases uh, of that magnitude whatsoever. In fact, we rarely seen decreases in our business ever since we started, which is pretty remarkable. But that month started the wave of, of you know, diminished sales. And, you know, my father was leading the company at the time. And, and I, I want to put this on the record. I think my father's one of the smartest men I know. Uh, but even for some of the smartest uh, men and women in the world, uh, if sometimes fear can get the best of you. And, you know, September was another negative month. And then October, and it was continuous. And we started to really feel the effects of the economy. Um, you know, people, people were, you know, losing their second, third homes. In fact, they were losing their homes. So they weren't necessarily going to buy a frame or frame uh, any artwork in their home. And so the, the sales continued to plummet. 
and so did our profits. And we were we we woke up one day and realized that the business was hemorrhaging millions of dollars, and something had to happen. Well. You know, my dad, unfortunately, reverted back to what he knew was the way to do it. It was going to be my way or the highway. And we started to cut here and there and, and people started to get affected. And it didn't become a great environment. In fact, it became the polar opposite. And I share this in my keynotes that it was more of a dictator style leadership than it was a democracy. And in those environments, typically, um, the A players on your team leave first. And that's, in fact, what happened. We had, we had droves of A players leave our company. And those are the people who laid the foundation. Those were the folks who you know, put blood, sweat, and tears into the brand. And unfortunately, um, they started leaving. And I think the critical point for me was we stopped looking at a good month in terms of sales, but we started looking at a good month in terms of if no one left the company that month. So, so that can give you, Laura, some indication of how much pain there was here at our company. I grew up with the adage, work had to hurt. And if work didn't hurt, then you weren't working hard enough. And so I just grew up with that adage. And believe me, Laura, work really hurt a lot. And I just thought that was normal. And I was doing a, a number of trade shows a year, flying all across the country. I was you know, destined to make work hurt as much as it can to help the business. Until one day I was at a trade show in Las Vegas and somebody uh, came to me and said, you look like you can use a drink. Why don't we go up for dinner with a few friends and we'll have a great evening. And so I took them up on the offer and after five minutes of a wonderful dinner, speaking to a wonderful lady, um, she reached into her purse and gave me a book. And the book uh, was, was titled Delivering Happiness by Tony Shea, the CEO of Zappos. And she said... You know, I really enjoy our conversation and I really think for some reason this book could really make a difference in your life. And, you know, what do you say to that? I said, okay, thank you. And, uh, you know, Las Vegas to Toronto is a five-hour flight. So on the, on the flight home, read the book. And it, it started to speak about, it began to speak about happiness and how if you drive happiness in your employees, they'll in turn make your customers happy and in turn you'll have a successful business well if, if you recall I was in major pain so I believed nothing of it although I found the book very uh, enlightening and very enjoyable I just didn't believe it and so I went on uh, you know I went on Google and and searched the company and watched videos and still didn't believe it until one day I took uh, I, I took my wife up uh, as she said that there was uh, tours that you can tour Zappos and see for your own eyes. And so I took uh, the offer and, and I went to Zappos two weeks later. And, and Laura, that's when I was sold. Um, I, I, I was sold when I looked into the eyes of the human beings that worked at that organization. You know, they say you can fake a lot of things, body language, but you can't fake someone's eye emotion. And, uh, and, and I, was, I was just sold from there. And it's remarkable what happens when, when you truly care about your people first, even before your customers. And I want to go into more detail around that because uh, uh, there's so many very important and interesting things that you've said already. And I, I'd like to go back into it after the break. But uh, we will be taking a very short uh, commercial break and uh, we'll be back uh, with Tony to talk more about his entire experience. One of the things that um, struck me when I read your bio and, and uh, uh, your focus on happiness is that um, in, um, in cognitive psychology, and you know that my background is in decision making, um, the, the scientists have found that there is a difference between the person who experiences the experience and the person who remembers the experience. So oftentimes our experience of happiness can differ from our memory of happiness. So the fact that you took on and, and succeeded in, in uh, driving uh, cultural transformation through institutionalizing happiness 
in almost like two parts of ourselves, one that is experiencing it and the other one that is remembering it. I think it's uh, fascinating and I can't wait for you to share more. But for now, we'll go to a short commercial break and we'll be back in a couple of minutes. Don't go away. To business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our wall. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Are you a CEO, a board director, or an entrepreneur looking to have more control over the future of your organization? If the answer is yes, you need Tab Ignite. Our approach is unique, intelligent, and it works. Our solution is exclusively positioned to guarantee the results you seek for your business because we make it simple for you to tap our advisor's expertise and experience and make accurate business decisions. Ask Tab Ignite to work for you at tabignite at trustedadvisoryboard.com and make your next decision the first of many best decisions for your company. Do you believe in the value you bring to an organization? Have you been overlooked for a promotion because you think differently than your peers? Do you know that you can and will make a difference to the business? Let Tab Advanced be your personal advisory board and help you make different, better decisions about your career. Our team is customized to your successful advancement and hones in on when, why, and how you make those decisions. Build a more fulfilling career. Contact us today at advance at trustedadvisoryboard.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into Because There's More with host Laura Ellis. To connect with our program today, please send Laura an email to lellis at trustedadvisoryboard.com. Now, back to Because There's More. Hello, I'm Laura Ellis, and this is Because There's More, the show that takes a closer look at decision-making. And I'm here today with Tony Guerreri, who's the CEO of Roma Molding, and uh, who is sharing with us his personal journey, as well as his journey of taking his organization through a cultural transformation by focusing on bringing um, happiness into the workplace. And and I know that to many people out there, that may sound like um, quite an ambitious goal, uh, but uh, Tony's going to tell us everything about how he came to do that. And we're just talking at, uh, at the break, Tony, that uh, many organizations, when they face challenges, decide to uh, take measures that typically end up being worse for the company. So cutting jobs and uh, many other different cuts scare people who um, are A players, as you said. So you were just telling us before the break how your wife convinced you to go and take um, a tour uh, at Zappos. So tell us more. What happened then? Well, wonderful. Well, um, once we came back... Uh once I flew to Zappos and, and uh, I worked there, because you can actually uh, do a tour of the facility, um, I, I seen the human beings there. I seen their interaction, their body language. And I, I got to actually work four hours in their call center. Four hours sounds like a long time, but when you're really engaged, it isn't that long. And she was a wonderful lady. And I think she was about six months pregnant. Wonderful lady. Very happy on the phones and we were, you know, we worked well together for four hours. And at the end of the call, or at the end of the four hours, I, uh, I asked her a question, which I thought was pretty enlightening for me. And the question was, what keeps you at this company? Why do you stay and why do you do such a great job? And she turned away from me in, in, uh, in a pensive manner. She turned back to me and uh, a tear uh, started flowing down her cheek. 
And and here I am thinking I maybe set off something. You know, she's pregnant. Maybe she's emotional. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but she she was very serious, and she said, "It's because I'm free and I feel trusted." And and at that point, Laura, that's what that that's when I knew it was real. Um, and and when I even think about it today, that emotion is still there for me. And that's when I came back to our organization, knowing that we had to make change and we had to do things differently if we wanted to save the business. Thank you for sharing that. And, um, you know, I, I was impressed from the very first time you and I talked together and, and just listening to you. It's a pleasure listening to you because I can I can sense um, the passion in, in, in your voice for what you did then, for what you're doing today. How, tell us more, how, what? does that passion come from? I'm very interested. I, I keep referring to the fact that you are young, yet I see so much wisdom and so much passion in you. Is that a, a family trait or is it the Italian background? What do you think? It's a great question. I'm, I'm not sure I can answer it succinctly. I think it's, uh, I believe it has a lot to do with you know, how it was brought up for sure, for certain. Um, I, I don't think it has to do with the Italian culture because I think many different cultures drive passion. Um, but I think it comes down to one thing about me that has always been off the charts is a trait that helps me in my life, and that's curiosity. And I, I'm always curious and fascinated as to how, you know, things before us or structures or methods or procedures or computers or whatever it may be, how they got before us, right in front. Some human being somewhere developed something from nothing. And I'm just, I, I, I'm just inspired about the fact that someone took that risk and did that for us. And today we take computers for granted, Skype, for instance, for granted, or even the airplane for granted. And uh, what inspires me is the people who have, you know, done it before me. And you know, it's uh, it's interesting the way you uh, describe that you like to know what happened before because another thing that I fell in love with when I was uh, checking your website is the video that you have there and how you describe, uh, you know, in that beautiful video that I'm sure uh, was quite a production because it's so well done and absolutely professionally done, uh, the quality of your product. It, it There's so much depth in that story and how things are being created and how did they get to where um, they got to. You you talked about the concept of happiness. I'd, I'd be interested, how do you define happiness, Tony? Um, how do I define happiness? When someone is in the right place doing the thing they love to do with the right people. I, I often find myself you know, searching, you know, I, I think happiness is not a, you can't be happy all the time. I think it's a euphoric state. I think there are peaks and valleys of happiness. But I think happiness is also a choice. And you can either see life for what it is or what it isn't. And what I try to do is curate a company, a group of amazing human beings that despite whatever challenges arise, um, we're doing the things we love, knowing that life doesn't always go according to plan. But because we're doing the things we love, ultimately we'll succeed. And I think that happiness has to, there's a, there's a direct link to passion. Does that make sense? Yes, it does total. Uh, it makes complete sense. And, and it's something that uh, um, uh, I, I like the fact that you said it is a choice. And uh, often when I work with my clients, it's, um, it's obvious to me that uh, often people don't feel um, they have that choice. And going back to your earlier story where you said that uh, work was meant to hurt, um, it is unfortunate that we see that in the workplace quite a lot, which is why it's so inspiring when you see the opposite end of the spectrum, like in your organization. So, you know, this is a show about how people make decisions and decision making. So tell us, what were some of the first decisions that you took once you got back from Zappos? 
Well, it, it, it was pretty systematized. And, and I'll say the first thing that, you know, I had to do was speak to my father, believe it or not. I mean, he was running the organization. He was CEO and president at the time. And I had to, uh, you know, share the vision. And uh, me being a marketing background, I, I made a beautiful deck together. I created a beautiful presentation. And my father turned to me and said, how is culture going to help me make money and turn this company around? And, and unfortunately, it's, it's a hard thing to understand, um, you know, if you're not open to it. And so, believe it or not, Laura, two weeks later, I went back to Zappos with my father because I knew that if I didn't show him the feeling of what it was, uh, I was going to have a losing battle. So brought him there, and, and that was an experience in itself. And believe it or not, you know, once we walked those, that campus, um, you can't but help get infused with a feeling, an emotion. And uh, so my father, you know, understood what my mission was. We had some we made some arrangements of what I could do and couldn't do, uh, but he cl- quickly noted that this was bigger than some you know business tactical strategy. This was a complete overhaul of a a way of of life primarily. You mentioned um, uh, culture being a hard sell, especially if you talk to someone who hasn't thought of it. Um, that way before. Um, I, I often uh, think of um, uh, the business, uh, a business to have its own brain the way uh, us, uh, we, we have individually. And there's been amazing documentaries called The Brain. And if you have the opportunity to watch it, I know beyond a doubt, Tony, that you will love that. It's a six one hour series on, on PBS and could be ordered online. But um, I, I think of the business to have its own brain, which is, a, you know, a combination or, or greater than the sum of its parts. And it's interesting uh, because watching that documentary, um, the, the most complex things are the hardest uh, to, to explain and how us as human beings create the sense of self um, in our brain, although it's hard to explain. So when I think of the business and when I think of culture, it's almost like culture is the sense of self that that comes together. And it's very hard to pinpoint what exactly um, affects it or what doesn't or how do you change it. Yet it has such a um, it reflects the identity of who the the company is so very interesting that you said uh, it was hard to translate it also what i loved about your example is the fact that um you were able to demonstrate in a very uh, experiential way what happiness was to your dad you know this is one of the challenges i have with great books and it's not a challenge it's the fact that there's still a gap between people reading a book and um, knowing how to implement it because our interpretation of a word can differ so much so how amazing that you intuitively knew to take your dad to make him experience the same thing that you experienced so what were some of the things that you did what was first decisions again once your um, dad agreed agreed to give you the helm of the company and uh, allow you or support you to do what you are hoping to do? Yeah, and that's very important. I think this question uh, for all the, the listeners out there is, is um, probably the most pivotal uh, to this whole um, you know, presentation today. First thing I did was I called a company meeting, Laura, mm-hmm. and and I didn't tell them what it was for. So we have, uh, you know, three distribution centers in the U.S., salespeople across continental U.S. and Canada. Um, I told everybody to please be at a meeting time at, you know, 10 a.m. And we were going to have it broadcast live and we we're going to shut our company down. And I didn't give the reason as to why the meeting was to be held. So, you know, many different things could have been said. And I remember it like it was yesterday. I actually have a photo of it on our website, 
And we called it our first ever all hands meeting one, where everybody, all hands on deck, we're going to be at a meeting. And the first thing I did was I stood up on, on uh, I stood up in front of the entire company and I asked for forgiveness. And I apologized for not putting people first. I apologized for not knowing everybody's name and not knowing what drives them and what they're passionate about. And the whole one hour presentation was not about what we were going to do different, but it was going to be um, partly was going to be uh, asking for forgiveness first and foremost. And then secondly, uh, I made one commitment, not even a promise, that we were going to do things drastically different. And we were going to put the people of our organization, our company, our team members first before anything else, before profits, before our customers, before our suppliers. And that's what began the culture journey. How did you come to um, the conclusion that you're going to, or the decision that you're going to uh, apologize? You know, I think that came in, in aided me. Uh, you know, I, I like to believe I'm a, a humble person, but also that I think this stems from always being the student in the room, never being the professor and never professing to know everything all the time. Uh, I tell to my team right now, I'm, if, if I'm ever the smartest person in the room, I'm going to get a new room. Um, I'm only as good as the sum of the people around me. And I'm a human being no different than them. Yeah. Uh, I may have a different role within the organization, but I'm, I'm a human being just like them. And I fail just like they fail. And I think before we can ask them to do anything, um, we have to stop and take you know, ownership of what we weren't doing. And again, for me, what's very impressive that without years and years of experience in leadership, um, you were actually able to uh, demonstrate one of the traits that it's very difficult for most leaders and, and you know, to show vulnerability and to take ownership in, in a way that uh, most leaders don't. Um, and, and I don't say that to judge, but we have uh, this model of uh, being in charge, to have to be uh, stern and direct and never admit defeat, which is, you know, uh, I can tell you that after seven or eight years of assessing senior executives through assessment centers, uh, often is a gap because people, you know, it, it, when it's obvious to everyone that the person at the top is holds more responsibility than everyone else for what is happening. Um, it makes a difference if that person steps up and says sorry so, or, or has regrets and, and commits to making things differently. So obviously it did in your uh, situation. And of course time flies and we have like three minutes before the break. But just, just very um, quickly before we go to the break and we'll elaborate after. So once that meeting um, happened, what was the following big decisions that, that took place? And we'll go into more detail after the break. So I think the, one of the first things we committed to doing was knowing who was on the team. So really knowing not just your name, but what you valued and what was important to you in your life. I'm a firm believer if you want someone on your team to do something for you, you got to be ready to do something for them first. And that's what we did. Uh, you know, that, that was probably objective one, was just finding out who's on the team and, and what's important to them. You could easily write a book on, on leadership and how to uh, do it uh, uh, properly because even though leadership is something that we're still kind of forming and um, there are certain things that, that need to be done in a certain order. There is a sequence that is uh, right versus wrong and, and the fact that, again, you went uh, to that. Did you have, what was your inspiration for doing that, Tony? Well, I, I didn't want I didn't want to develop or create a culture around what Tony Guerreri would do. Instead, I, I I needed to know who was on the team and what they valued, in order to put what we value, you know, out there for the for the people. Or else, it's just something that I want, and yeah, yeah. 
and and that's not inspiring. That's that's not what leadership is about. I, I can't wait to hear uh, more after the break, and particularly what was difficult and what was easy, because you know, as as beautiful a story this is, I'm sure there are moments when things uh, were more challenging and and people uh, had challenges with a change or. Uh, the decisions were tougher. So uh, we're going to go away for a couple of minutes uh, for a short commercial break. But we'll be back soon to talk more about the cultural transformation at Roma Molding. the boardroom to you voice america business network do you believe in the value you bring to an organization have you been overlooked for a promotion because you think differently than your peers do you know that you can and will make a difference to the business let tab advanced be your personal advisory board and help you make different better decisions about your career our team is customized to your successful advancement and hones in on when why and how you make those decisions Build a more fulfilling career. Contact us today at advance at trustedadvisoryboard.com. Are you a CEO, a board director, or an entrepreneur looking to have more control over the future of your organization? If the answer is yes, you need Tab Ignite. Our approach is unique, intelligent, and it works. Our solution is exclusively positioned to guarantee the results you seek for your business because we make it simple for you to tap our advisor's expertise and experience and make accurate business decisions. Ask Tab Ignite to work for you at tabignite at trustedadvisoryboard.com and make your next decision the first of many best decisions for your company. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are tuned into Because There's More with host Laura Ellis. To connect with our program today, please send Laura an email to lellis at trustedadvisoryboard.com. Now, back to Because There's More. Hello, I'm Laura Ellis, and this is Because There's More, the show that takes a closer look at decision-making. And I'm here with Tony Guerreri, who's the CEO of Roma Molding, telling us more about um, how he took his organization through a cultural transformation. And just before uh, the break, Tony, we talked about some of the key decisions and first steps that you engaged in. And, and I loved it, and I'm going to repeat them. So uh, the first communication that you had uh, with the organizations once you decided uh, to go um, in a completely different direction was to actually apologize to uh, the entire organization for the fact that things had not been that good and taking responsibility for your role in that. And and then secondly, just learning more about um, uh, who everyone was in the team and what was important for them and what how they defined happiness if if indeed happiness was to be the um, the focus for the entire organization. So as I said earlier, we are um, uh, a show about decision-making. So what were some of the challenges that you came across? Because like you said, there wasn't all roads, this is strawberries. So what were some of the difficult points and some of the decisions that you had to make to overcome those? Well, you know, I think first off, before I jump into that question, I want to make a note to the leaders who are out there because um, often it doesn't get shared but I, I, I think it's important to share that there there are going to be days where you're going to want to go through a wall you're going to want to give up and you're going to you know want to quit that's normal because it's not easy making change and I've, I've read somewhere from Howard Schultz, he said it best, when you're starting an organization or in a leadership role or something of that nature, you got to line your stomach with steel because there, there are going to be days you are going to want to throw up. 
And I'll tell you, Laura, at the beginning when we started the culture transformation, there were many days of nausea um, because it was difficult. You were, you know, otherwise going to ask people what they, you know, believed in life, what they valued. You know, those aren't typical conversations that are shared within a company. And so you quickly build camps within your organization. You build, I, I call them the three camps. You, you build the, oh my God, this is the best thing in the world camp. And those are the people we love and adore. Um, and they're easy to work with. They believe in what you're doing. And then I believe you have the uh, middle of the fencers. So you have the people that are, you know, one foot in, one foot out. This is kind of good. Let me see how it goes. And then you got the last group of people. And I call these the culture vampires. These are the people that no matter what you do, um, they will try to undermine the very existence of your organization. And so as a leader, your job is to, to you know, flourish the A's and B's as much as you can in hopes that the C's, the culture vampires, will leave on their own. But second to leaving on their own will be having to actually have a strategy on how to eject those people from your organization because they will ultimately kill the very essence or soul. As you indicated, company culture is like the brain. I call it like the soul of the organization. They will undermine the very soul of the organization and you'll ultimately fall because of it. And so that's what we did first. We, uh, we identified and we asked the entire company, what do you value? In a sequence of emails, you know, what's important to you in your life? And really start to gather information as to what people loved. And we, we asked that because we wanted to create a code of conduct, which we call today our core values. And our core values were going to be a way of life. They were going to be principles that would guide and shape all and everything we do at our company. So it wouldn't be what does Tony Guerrero want to do. It was it would be what what do they align with the core values of our company? Ultimately, roll up to our mission. And if it does, then go do it. And thus taking the ownership and the decision making all off me and really empowering the team. So that was one of the pivotal, I would say, foundational. Uh, you know, strategies or objective that we did first in order to platform what we have today or scale what we have today. And what were some of the first improvement, improvements you noticed and, and once you uh, went down and, and, you know, as much detail as you can give uh, us about the actual behaviors that you engaged in. So um, coming to a common set of values that, that is something uh, very powerful for people because they, they need a sense of identity to adhere to. So that's great. What other practical examples of what took place? Can you share with us? Absolutely. Well, what we did was we we noticed that people, the actual physical environment of a company has a lot to say with how the company does. So a very segregated company, uh, companies with a lot of walls, hallways, dark well, you know, stairwells, uh, have a tendency to be more sheltered in communication. Um, and ours was one of those. And uh, we, we decided and we asked the, the entire team what they thought about removing some walls within the organization. That was one of the things we did early on. And suddenly, that already changed the mood of communication. Um, so, you know, one tactful thing someone can do as a leader is actually what would happen if you remove walls within your, you know, company structure. For us, the... The, um, the outcome of removing walls was at least a self-accountability to each other. We now knew that we had a finance department that came in at 7.30 or 8 o'clock every day. We now knew the call center, there was actually people there, there till 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time where everybody else left at you know, 5 or 6. And so that was one of the things we did. Would, would you like another? Yes, I'd love as many as you can share in the time we have, because those are very, very helpful um, uh, for all our listeners, you know, rather than just uh, um, uh, read books that say, you know, you need to communicate and you need to, so carry on. 
Laura, I love your passion because I'm the same way. I like uh, tactful nuggets. So, so I, I, I believe um, once the walls came down, um, another thing we did was we have pulse boards. So actually, what is the pulse of that team? So each team now had, uh, has a board, a whiteboard, very low tech, very high touch, um, KPI boards. And it really, so key performance indicator boards, which really um, showcase transparency. So finance will have theirs, call center will have theirs, marketing will have theirs. So as you start walking through the various different you know, teams here at our company, you can clearly in you know, six feet and six seconds clearly see what, what winning looks like within that organization. And today that's developed into, I mean, we have KPIs on how many champagne bottles do we open based on celebration? So it's it's definitely evolved since day one. So putting control boards really helps um, show the transparency of goals. Yeah. Uh, Let me ask you a question, Tony. Yep. Um, you know, again, uh, you you notice my passion. I could have a whole show on KPIs, but how how did you come to create those KPIs? Great question. So we have a, a leadership conference every year, which we call Leader Mash, and we host it uh, in Toronto, where all our leaders come. And we theme every year. So every year there's a there's a different theme. This year's 2016 theme is service. So we add one new KPI per department around service. But the actual key performance indicators are developed by the leadership team, and then enveloped up into the organization's goals. In the overall organization's goals, uh, we have you know sales, we have net promoter scores, we have profitability, um, and those are decided upon as a leadership team, not something you know that that I developed. So yeah. it's very you, you mean you don't go and buy a book of KPIs and choose from there? Very no, we don't. No. <laughs> no, that's great. Thank you. Um, I'm looking at the time here because it's probably going faster than I would have liked it to, to, to go. Uh, I, I find myself in this situation every Monday. Uh, but what were some of the um, first wins? Do you remember? Like, what were some of the things that told you, oh my God, we're so on the right track? Yeah, I would say. You know, one of the things we started um, noticing um, was that people were taking ownership more. I know it sounds kind of fluffy, um, but people were truly taking ownership on projects. It, you know, as a CEO of the company, I had a lot less emails around permission. You know, can I do things? And a lot more emails around, hey, Tony, we did this and this is what happened. Um, it's remarkable, Laura, what happens when you transfer trust on people. Um, they actually work triple the amount. And I'm not advocating that in some sinister way. Um, but trust is so, so precious that the right people, the A players, once you give it to them, um, the sky's the limit. Uh, we have about four minutes till close, but I do want to ask about that question of, of trust because, again, what happens, and you, you mentioned that about your dad, when, when people get afraid, they, they um, revert to what they know. And most of the time, keeping control tight, it's exactly what they do. So we have a tendency to create the very thing that we're trying to avoid. So let me ask you, were you not afraid to to let go of things and, and, you know, put that trust into people because there is a greater risk that, that you take when you're not in charge of everything. Laura, I was terrified. <laughs> <laughs> Petrified. And if a leader tells you otherwise, then they're not telling you the truth. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it, the world, unfortunately, is not built that way. Um, we rarely give trust. Even when we say we give trust, we don't always give trust. Yeah. Um, but, but trust is a magical thing. And, and when you give it to people, um, the right people, mind you, the people who believe in your company, the people who align with the values, who truly go above and beyond every day for you, um, give trust to those people and magical things will happen. 
And, and I think giving trust is also, I think one of the byproducts of that is, is you have to be open and honest yourself. Um, you have to be able to tell them the good news and the bad news. And, and I think trust is a developed trait. I, I don't think you get it out of the gate. You have to build it yeah, and I, small acts and it takes a long time. Yeah, I agree. And, and you know, that's why I was saying earlier that there's a certain sequence to even building trust. Like, can you imagine trusting the wrong people? Had you not known uh, more about your own people, you would have been able to uh, to know whom to trust and, you know, just would have made a lot more assumptions to take you in the wrong direction. So less than two minutes to the close. What would you say uh, to someone who wants to take the organization through a cultural transformation? What would be the um, top three decisions? And I know I'm simplifying it and it never works like that, but what would be the top three decisions to, to look at to turn a culture around? Because I know you consult as well. Sure. Um, well, first and foremost, you got to really want it. Um, and you, you have to really know what it is and, and do your research before. This is not a three-month strategy. In fact, it's a five-to-lifetime strategy. So I would say the three things you know that you will need to develop early on will be you have to be open and transparent. Uh, I can't stress that enough. You got to be able to tell the good and the bad. And you got to be able to tell people you, you'll always get your say and you might not always get your way and that's okay. So trust and transparency, that openness, I would say second, um, be ready to be ready to listen a lot. Be ready to listen a lot and take a lot of criticism. And that goes back to lining your stomach with steel. Um, this is not, you know, culture journey is not for the faint at heart. You so really I'm going to interrupt you, Tony, and I'm really sorry. No Tell me the third one. And who knows, maybe we'll have you back because culture transformation is a huge topic. So tell us the third one. Yeah, so I think it would be listen, and then um, you got to be willing to take action. Yeah, thank you. I've had a great show, and next week I'm going to try to put together the best of 2015, and I can assure you that parts of our show today are going to be there. Uh, but until now, I just want to thank you for a great show and thank everyone who is listening, and wish everyone a great week. And, Tony, pleasure to have you here today, and thank you for all the great work you do out there. So Laura, it was my pleasure. Thank you. Take care. We hope you've enjoyed this week's edition of Because There's More. Join Laura Ellis again next Monday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 a.m. Eastern Time, and 2 p.m. GMT on the Voice America Business Channel. Be sure to tune in because there's more.